I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hi, I'm Milana Vintrub and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Oh, fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. You checking out Rebel Radio? Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? It's Rebel Radio. I hope you're ready. Hey, this one's different. My Seinfeld fans out there will remember the opposite episode where everything was the opposite. Well, this is our opposite episode for Rebel Radio. My guest today is Milana Weintrub. You might know her from the funny AT&T commercials that are running all over your TV. I knew her from the YouTube show, Let's Talk About Something More Interesting, which I think is great. Watch the Matt Damon episode. You'll love it. Uh, and she's also the founder of can'tdonothing.org. It's a charity focused on the refugee crisis around the world, especially Syria, and she's making really important content about that. But uh, like I said, this is, a, this is a unique episode for us. She refused to let me interview her, and instead she's going to show me the right way to conduct interviews. Um, so she just asked me questions for about an hour, and hopefully you'll find it interesting. I love talking to her. I definitely learned a lot about how I should be interviewing people, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, she also helped me write my TED Talk during our interview, and we get into a, a friendly argument about gender roles. We didn't really argue, but I could tell that we both wanted to. So we'll see where that takes us. Hey, I hope you enjoy the interview right after our EDM.com track of the week. Feels like we're worlds apart So hard to fit the distance And I knew right from the start That this one would have an expiration 
That was Simba with a track called Paths, our EDM.com track of the week. That's on Your Secret. You can find that on soundcloud.com slash Your Secret, Spotify, Your Secret, and of course, over at our friends, EDM.com. Let's get into the interview now where Milana Vintrue interviews Josh Levine. And maybe I can stand a Yeah, me too. I actually, that's a big priority of mine. For sure. Dehydration is a huge problem. How come celebrities, seriously, because since you're a celebrity, I'm going to ask you this question. Yeah, very important question. Why are celebrities the only people to get dehydrated? Well, I'll say a couple things. One is it's probably more than dehydration. Two mm. is you never, when people go to the hospital, they don't tell you what they go to the hospital for, right? Yeah, but like... The other thing, you always hear about like starlets, like they they have to yeah leave the set for dehydration. But like coal miners, they don't. <laughs> you don't know how many coal miners do you know? And more if than they, you think. No, give me exactly an estimate. as many as you'd think. Zero. Yeah. 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 And if they if they did go for dehydration, probably they're also going for like all sorts of chemical inhalation. Yeah, like black lung. Yeah, and then not too many celebrities suffering black lung. No, I mean, not that they're proud of. They all say right. they're suffering from dehydration. Maybe it's covered up. Maybe it's a cover-up for black lung disease. Maybe. That's possible. But I also think that when you're on set and you're traveling a lot, yeah, um, it's kind of easy to not take care of yourself. Right. It just happens because you're just focused on a million other things, and you're never really sitting down. You don't have a moment to be like, <sighs> if yeah. you're like the leader. Not like coal miners. Yeah. Coal miners are lazy. That's actually what this show is about. <laughs> The laziness of coal miners. Yeah, exactly. They get a lunch break, though, right? If yeah, they're three unions. Days. <laughs> For sure. It's awesome. Well, I'm glad we could start so, off on that. I'm going to interview you, right? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so um, happy you could be here. Let's talk about something more interesting. I'm so yeah, excited. Yeah, it's a joy to have you to here. To be your guest. Um, should we start? We already have. Oh, great. So, where are you from? Right here. In L.A.? <clears throat> I grew up in San Francisco, and then I came here for college. I would appreciate it if you took a drink after every three words. <laughs> totally, you do. I <laughs> Yeah, every sentence, paragraph, <laughs> I punctuate with a drink. Yeah, so I grew up in San Francisco, yeah. in the city, which uh -huh. is a big deal for... Yeah, not a lot of people do that, huh? Well, you know, who cares? People... Well, people have to move out of the city, right? Is that eventually what happens? Because yeah, it, it's part. growing and changing, and it's kind of it feels like it's growing from the inside, kind of like like well, lava. I moved before all that? Why did you move? Because I could. I mean, I came here. I wanted to go to college. So and when you were eighteen, you moved to LA. Yeah. And you went to US, UCLA. UCLA. And I just never wanted to leave LA. It's such, I don't know, such a. I think it's the best place to live. Yeah. I think it's. I always say this, my uninformed, because I've never lived anywhere else, but. I think it's the only place you can live and work. Mm, that's true. Do you feel like you can't live in New York, but you can only work there? Yeah. 
And then in San Francisco, do you feel like you can live or work? Yeah, just not as well. Mm. First of all, like I'm really, I, I hate to say this from, I know you come from somewhere with much worse weather than San Francisco. Mm, it's not so bad. No? There are four seasons, but there are seasons. Yeah, seasons suck. Yeah, you don't like them. No. I, I understand that. I Well, also, if you came here when you were 18 and it's just always beautiful, like it's yeah. mid-October right now. And it's sunny. We're all wearing T-shirts, and never do we need anything more. Like it's very easy to get used to a good thing. Yeah, so that happened really fast for me, mm-hmm. and I just loved it here. And then uh, I kind of like, I don't know. I thought I was going to go into Wall Street or something. So you thought maybe like you you would move to New York at some point? There wasn't really a plan. Mm. That's generous to say. So what did you study when you moved to? L.A. went to UCLA. So I was a I was a econ business major because I was going to go to Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, that lasted for two quarters. And then why did you change your mind? They asked me. The school to asked leave. you. Oh, why? Because I was such a great student that I was just outperforming uh-huh. all their expectations. You were making so everyone just, feel bad. Yeah. Everyone was depressed in comparison. I was just telling James my 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 son counseled me this week. He's seven. Yeah. And he told me that I should not um, say things are easy because mm. it makes people feel bad if it's not easy for them. That's really smart. Yeah, I'm taking him out of that school. <laughs> but also, yeah, I think that's maybe not true. There's no, some things that are just easy for some people. Yeah. Sorry, when you're on my show, you have to turn your phone off. That's your phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did that even happen? I don't know, but it's your lights, your flashlights on too. It's on Do Not Disturb. It's on silent. No. Your flashlights on too, by the way. <laughs> I wasn't sure how dark the studio was going to be. I wanted we to usually, be safe. <laughs> well, normally we record in total darkness. <laughs> Just underlit. Yeah. In your honor, we we turn the lights on. Can we go back and talk about you as a kid a little more? Now oh, that we're man. talking about your kid as a kid, that is a dark discussion. Yeah, what was it like? You were born in San Francisco. Were both of your parents born in San Francisco? I was. My parents are from. My whole family's from L.A. Mm. Fourth generation Russian Jews ended up in L.A. No, I'm fourth. But yeah. So my, your parents are third, yeah. and their grandparents, great grandparents. Their grandparents emigrated. From Russia. From Russia. Yeah. To L.A.? Uh, no. New York, Toronto, Sioux City, Iowa, mm, which apparently is, is a big Jewish enclave. And then your parents met in L.A.? or they were Yeah, they met in L.A. Mm-hmm. And then my dad was getting his uh, Ph.D. in Bowling Green, Ohio, Bowling Green State. I thought you were going to say he was getting his Ph.D. in Bowling? <laughs> bowling. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, he's, a, he's a, a, just an expert What a thing bowler. to master. He knows everything there is about bowling. <laughs> so he was getting his PhD, and I, I was born then mm-hmm. in, uh, in Bowling Green, Ohio. Mm-hmm. But I have no ties there. So we just moved later on and came to the West Coast. And uh, I'm really... Mm-hmm. Why I'm did really... they go to San Francisco then? Because they were hippies. Mm-hmm. And it was the early 70s. That's and that why was like, I would move to San Francisco. Yeah, it was a good thing to do. We lived in Berkeley for a little while, <clears throat> and then then the city. I mean, being raised by hippies sounds like a blessing and a curse, because maybe there's a ton of freedom. Yeah, not ton a ton of freedom. But not a lot of structure? No. Yeah. Not a lot so of structure. How do you think or that, money. Or money. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that growing up without a lot of money has affected your priorities now? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. 
How so? Well, I think um, it's, well, you know, I've been through many iterations of that, uh, the relationship to money. And so, but I think, you know, a lot of, you know, in, in some ways it teaches you what you can do without um, and so, you know, I think in other ways it appreci- makes you appreciate what you do have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I remember like, I sometimes ask people on my podcast, what, um, you know, have they, when they got successful, were there any like crazy purchases? Mm-hmm. And so. Were there any for you? Well, no, but I don't know that I've had that type of success, but I, like, I never just got this massive check that I was like, you know. What am I going to blow this on or anything like that? Yeah. But there were small things. But you also don't seem like a blow this on kind of person. I find that people who grew up with kind of an unstable financial home usually understand the power of saving or smart investments. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. So so would you, if you did get a check mm-hmm. for a big sum, what do you think you would blow it on? I mean, my wife would just take it. Yeah, it would she just be grew up not with not rich, but without any real like financial concerns. Mm. So she's terrible with money. Mm. Hi, um, <laughs> I won't tell her you said that. No, none she, of she you doesn't tell her exactly. You said that. No, yeah, um, no, I don't know that there's like a big thing, but I've but I've bought a little small things, a lot of little small things that like. <clears throat> you know, some shoes that I just wanted and like could never afford mm-hmm. as a kid. And then just, I just had to have them. You feel like you're fulfilling something from your childhood that you didn't have. Oh yeah, for sure. That's really cute. Yeah. Cause you want, you know, as a kid you wanted like, you know, for me it was like, you wanted like the millennium Falcon mm-hmm. and, and you'd want that all year long and you'd hope you got it, you know, for your birthday or, or whatever. Um, and then sometimes you would and sometimes you wouldn't. And, but you know, you'd, you just kind of think about that. And uh, and so, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good example. But and now there's... you got like a big 3D replica? No, like that I never cared about. Um, I'm trying to think of the thing. I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, I know there's definitely shoes. I buy a lot of shoes. And, you know, I remember these are Jordans. Yeah, they're very nice. Thank you. I like yours. They Thank you. <laughs> these are Birkenstocks. Oh, uh, those feel like shoes that you would have wanted when you were a kid. It's kind of convenient that the fashion's coming back, right? Yeah. Like that the stuff that was really cool when you were young yeah. is cool again because now you can really relive it and be stylish at the same That's time. That's right. I, I engineered that. <laughs> that you made this trend come back? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, you are more powerful that's kind than of what this I do. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if your dad had a your dad had a PhD in, what did he have a PhD in? Sociology. Oh, okay. So there's no way to make a mon- money doing that. And your mom, does she work? She works now. She she's a administrator at like a big insurance company. Mm, I don't even know. Incredibly boring. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Super that's boring. tough. That's like the job I dread having. But she kind of wanted that. Really, like, she wanted like the stability of it. Yeah, and just like not thinking about it. Like mm. five o'clock comes. I think she's off at four thirty, something like that. She looks like eight to four or whatever. Yeah. And just like. And she's done. It's interesting. I think that there's something about that generation that maybe wanted a, like, you go to work, you turn it off, and then you're with your family. Yeah. And then the next generation after that was finding a work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And I think my generation, and maybe a little younger than me, 
is about how do you do something you love so it never feels like work. Oh, that's good. Right? Like, I don't yeah. have anything that I could turn off at 4.30 and then it's over. Right. Ever. Yeah. But I love that. I yeah. also feel like all of the things I do, I would do for free. Yeah. So I'm working all the time, but I'm sure. always just doing what I love. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I'm probably in that same category. And, and I think, so I don't know as as much if it's generational or if it's just like. You it, and me. Yeah, I think it's just the two of us. <laughs> we have yeah. that in common. Uh-huh. No, but like I think if you're in a creative field, and not everybody, but if that's your life is is creativity, then mm-hmm. it it's just all becomes one thing. Like for me, that was that's always been the case since I started my career. Was just like it just the switch turned on and then it never turned off. Same. Yeah. Do you envy the times when people could just? leave work and then at 6 p.m. there was no way to email them or there was no text message and if you wanted to call you couldn't call during dinner you know it's (laughs) it's funny I mean yeah you know I'm old enough to remember you know I started my career when we had fax machines and we didn't have there were cell phones but not everyone had a cell phone and and it certainly wasn't like the way it is today Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know I think you didn't really notice it at the time like you would just like if I needed to get a message to someone and I started in the music business and you know people don't always take or return phone calls or whatever so if you needed to get the message across you'd send someone a fax Mm -hmm. and you'd know that it was there and then you know a few days later you might hear back but isn't that kind of nice like for me I appreciate maybe things just took longer to get done but everyone had less to do Definitely. So there wasn't the same expectation of a return rate. But I think it depends on your priority. Like for me, my priority is my output. It's the impact mm-hmm. that I can make. Right. That's always been what's driven me professionally. Right. Is I want to make the biggest impact possible. So there's a certain impatience that comes with that. And like, so when I'm waiting, I think there's nothing worse than waiting for other people to get back to you. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Sorry so, about that, by the way. I wouldn't. <laughs> I, yeah, I wouldn't say I appreciate that, like, mm-hmm. having that pause. I just wanted it to be over and, like, move on to the next thing. It's interesting. I've, I was actually just thinking about that because there are some projects that I've had that have been in the works for months, some for, like, two years. Tell us about one. And No, sorry, this, is, this isn't about me. But it was interesting that before, um, when I was creating YouTube content, I would mm-hmm. put out a video every week. Right. And I was just constantly working and hustling and there was no reason to wait for anybody. And it was awesome and so fulfilling to be creating. But also I had no social life and no friends and was just no regular sleep schedule. So I was just constantly this machine. And now that I get a little bit frustrated with things taking longer, I'm also I'm able to do many more projects. Mm -hmm. I have like a lot of balls in the air and I have many balls and also thank you so much. I'm very proud of all of my balls. And then also I find that like life is a little bit more peaceful when you're not about expecting the return right away. Okay. That doesn't apply to you. No. No, you want like all of the things to be returning right away. Well, you know, I understand that they don't. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like <laughs> that I'm surprised or disappointed. Um, and, I, and I also have a really high value on relationships. And so I have, I have people 
you know, my closest friends, except for the guys I grew up with in high school that I'm still really close to. But like beyond that, my closest friends are all people that I've known through the business. And, you know, we've done business together or we've referred each other business or whatever. And sometimes those relationships like, uh, I mean, we're here now in a studio that's owned by one of my closest friends and like, it's not a, uh, there's no transaction. Mm hmm. But it's just an output of having those relationships. Just it's things like end up happening. Man. Yeah, it's just like Burning Man. <laughs> With that, do you go to Burning Man? Are you, yeah. Are you? Yeah, but like that's it's I, interesting. I people, it's great. It's very yeah. fun, and people often think that it's a barter system or that it's a transaction. Right. But really, it's, it's just a gifting culture, yeah. which is like where we would all like to be all the time if we had trusting, quality relationships. Right. To be able to just give and know that it's appreciated. And do you that have you that in, in your life? I feel like I do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really, really lucky about the people I have in my life. So what do you do? I host a podcast. Uh-huh. It's called Rebel Radio. Okay. I've heard of it. Yeah. And then um, this isn't your main source of income. No. Well, I mean, Is we this... are we are getting insanely rich from this. Yeah, I can tell. Of course. And I mean, I bought these shoes. From this podcast? Your podcast got you these shoes? Damn right. <laughs> when I was uh, buzzing in here, I was like, yeah. hey, uh, I'm here for Rebel Radio. And then just hearing myself talk, I was like, well, this is going to be a doozy. <laughs> like, it's it's early. Well, it's like a I, gloomy day. It's a gloomy day. I was supposed to work out this morning, and I passed. What kind of workout? Um, I just joined a gym, and I've oh. been doing some cardio interval training. That's so official. It's really fun. Yeah. It's way better than running for an hour. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's been great. I actually really love it. I don't love the amount of eye contact you get very early in the morning at the gym. <laughs> like everybody, especially at like trendy gyms, sure. everyone's just hoping that they run into somebody they know. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's been. Do people hit it you feels up? feels great. Do people hit me up? Like do people talk to me at the gym? Yeah. Um, not really. I mean a little no. bit. I'm friendly. Yeah. So I smile at people, and I think that makes them feel like they can Yeah, you should me. not do that. You're I know. Gonna, I'm learning. Your I'm publicist learning. is going to teach you not to do that. <laughs> Don't be friendly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first rule of getting people to like you, says Absolutely. the publicist. <laughs> exactly. So um, so then um, let's go back, and then we'll we'll end at what you do, because I still don't actually know. Right. So you you went to college, so and you dropped out. So to talk about myself. I know. I hate doing it, too, which yeah. is why when you asked me to come here, I refused. I and thought these it was were me. the terms. No, I think you're great. It's not personal. Well, you're it's right. it's me. It's always me. It's uh -huh. my psychology. Okay. So, um, so you dropped out of UCLA, or say? they kicked you out. Schmoop. Stop making this about me. So, they they dropped. You, they kicked you out of UCLA. No, no, no. I did. I graduated from UCLA. Oh, I think you said you left. After. I left the econ oh, department. Okay, and then what did you uh, study? I moved to something better suited for my skills pottery uh, yes <laughs> uh, missing class no um i graduated in uh, linguistics and psychology oh cool w yeah, was, what do you right. what do you benefit from studying linguistics i graduated <laughs> yeah that's no a, that's okay that's the true story so this is you know a long time before you were born we had the the course catalog mm-hmm and uh, while I was in school, they invented the phone registration. Before that, you had to go in and stand in a three-hour line. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now you could have, wait in a three-hour line on the phone in your house. Yeah. And so 
Uh, so I switched. So I knew I, I needed to switch majors. I had to find the right thing. And I had this giant course catalog. It's like a big phone book. Do you know what that is? Yeah. And so... When I was in college, they had something like that. But then you could also sign on online. Right. Yeah. So I went through kind of major by major trying to figure out how to get out of school fastest. Mm-hmm. And because it just wasn't... I've sort of enjoyed it, but I also knew that like the better thing was going to be after. I, I was... You're I about efficiency. Knew. Yeah, I am. And so... I was looking through and I, um, and so I spoke Spanish fluently and I was in the process of learning Italian. How did you learn Spanish? In school. I'm oh. like the only person. That You're the only person that actually learned the Spanish language in school. school yeah. And I went oh. like, you know, I went like as far as you could in Spanish. I won like awards in school for like Spanish speaking, whatever. So did you get good grades in high school? So I was, um, my parents did a great job educating me as a small child. So I read really early and, you know, I was really advanced in uh, academically early on. And I used that to basically coast through school. So I got good grades, but I did very little work. And so I would just like, I got graded like bullshitting my teachers. Same. Um, yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, um, it's an interesting, there's an art it's to it. It's a skill. It's, yeah. it's a form of life hacking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know that at the time, but. It, I think but. that's that's actually something, sorry, I keep. Kidding. No, that's all right. Um, that's something that you learn in school that's actually fundamental to you getting by in life. It's yeah. the reason that you have the success. I mean, some of it is an innate skill and something is that, it's something that you really got to practice in school. Well, and like anything, it's a double-edged sword because I got to UCLA where you, well, I didn't know how to do that at UCLA. And UCLA is really hard for me. And yet my, and then I knew people who were um, probably not as smart by some measures, but they knew how to work much harder than I did. Mm -hmm. And they would like kill it at UCLA because that's sort of what that environment demanded. And so, um, so anyway, you know, that kind of coasted me through and then I got into UCLA and, and I just was ill prepared. I'm curious about what made you so good at Spanish because I feel like and this is a, a serious question because <laughs> he's laughing at me, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's serious because, um, I found it to be like an, I also got by doing as little as possible and I, kind of saw Spanish as a thing that like I just had to do as little as possible to get by but right. you didn't you saw that with so many of your other classes but not with Spanish you chose to excel there no because I enjoyed it and uh and did I you have a great teacher I had an interesting teacher yeah that helped um he was like uh he was this crazy hippie and he would get like sometimes on Mondays he would miss class because he was arrested <laughs> over the weekend for like being in protests Cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And he taught us, like, we did a month of, like, street Spanish, um, like, cholo Spanish. And we did a month of, like, uh, it's called uh, Mexica, which is, like, um, it's not Spanish, but it's, like, the indigenous Mexican language or one of them. And, like, just really interesting stuff. That sounds so great. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, there was girls that I wanted to talk to in Spanish. That helped mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I had a, I had a summer job working at Taco Bell <laughs> and um and like it was a very it was interesting like class divide in in uh like all the people in the front were white 
and like middle class teenage kids who, you know, were working summer jobs. And then everybody in the back of the house was like Mexican and barely spoke English and they were grown up and whatever. And so I somehow I gravitated towards hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I spoke to them. In Spanish. And in fact, like a couple of guys, I taught English. And they helped me learn Spanish and, and that. So, um, so I was able to use it. A, a metaphor for a lot of the way businesses are run. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, you yeah. know, because of all that, uh, the credits that I needed in in this particular major, I had already fulfilled a lot of them. And back to my my hustle, like, so, you know, I got to UCLA, and 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 uh, anyway, I, I went into the Spanish department, and I was like, hey, this major has a two year Spanish requirement. Can I just um, can you just sign me out of it? Mm-hmm. And like, you're supposed to take a test, and. I just bullshitted with the teacher for like five minutes and he was like, yeah, I'll sign it. So I didn't even take the test. And, um, so I was like, it, it got me a lot closer to graduation just by choosing that major. Mm-hmm. And then when you were in at UCLA and you were studying linguistics, did you learn other languages or did you choose no. linguistics because that was something that was in the catalog? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I chose it because it would get me out fast mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, I took a Linguistics one class, which everybody I told about it said, oh, it's so hard. And for me, it just came really easily. And that, that was just my natural, like my, my strength, I think, was just language. Did your parents speak any other languages at home? No. Hmm. And then you graduated, and what was your plan? You said you were really excited about leaving and what life would be like afterwards. Yeah, I didn't really have a plan. I mean, but I went in, in thinking LA. I was going to go to Wall Street. Yeah. Only probably because I watched Wall Street. <laughs> um, and in fact, before I, went, before I knew UCLA was my school, I thought I was going to go to Oxford because I watched Oxford Blues yeah. with Rob Lowe. Oh, and what, he had a What a power killer time. entertainment has over totally. us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that ended up, I didn't even realize that, what you just said, but, but that kind of ended up in my path. That, um, so then, oh, so then I was living in the dorms with football players. And so it was like me and three giant young men playing football. And um, so then I thought, and I became close friends with those guys, mostly because I was the only roommate. I was the third roommate in their suite, and the other two left because they were scared of these big black guys. <laughs> and I just wasn't. It didn't. Mm. I didn't know I was supposed to be scared. Yeah. What makes what made them scared? Cause they're just like inherent racism. Yeah. And yeah, they were just like Midwestern white guys who'd probably never been around black people. And, and these guys were also like, they were kind of playing up that character. What year was this? 89, 90. Um, the football players were playing up the character. Yeah. They were like tough guys. Not, I mean, tough, like football jocks. Mm-hmm. And like, so I heard one story about like, he would play music my roommate would play music like really loud like all night long and uh and the guy asked him to like turn it down and he and he kind of was like he's like what mm-hmm. and then the guy like moved out the next day and like i didn't mind the music playing all night long like that i played music all night long so yeah. it's just sort of worked for me you guys were the same kind of punk ass i guess so mm-hmm. so then you became buddies with these guys oh so then i thought maybe i'll be a, a sports attorney oh okay because these guys were all, you know, trying to go pro, and and I got to know a lot of the team, and and you know, and that, that just seemed like a cool path. 
Mm-hmm. So I thought I'll go to law, law school. I didn't think about the fact that by the time I got out of law school, these guys, their careers <laughs> would have been over. Yeah, yeah. So that, but uh, it didn't matter anyway, because it, it didn't play out that way. Well, how did it play so out? So this girl came by our dorm one day and who was friends with one of my roommates and said, you should go intern for my friend at Motown Records. And I was always into music, <clears throat> excuse me, but I didn't really know what a record label did. I mean, I'd heard of Motown and I, I had a small record collection and all that, but I had no idea about the music. I was super naive just about the what music What does business. a record label do? Well, now nobody knows. But, you know, back then they find the talent, they pay to develop the talent, and then they, you know, finance the record, guide the making of the record, and they distribute the record. What does it mean to develop the talent? Um, it probably means they, they pair you up with songwriters and producers. Okay. They literally, they, they take your talent and they make it better. Yeah. Or they find a way to, like, produce it into the music. Mm-hmm. And then they would release it. Yeah. And that's when you started interning there. So I started interning. So I, so I, I said, I, I don't know what that is. And she goes, well, you work about eight hours a week and you get free CDs. <laughs> I said, that's awesome. I'm I'm in. <laughs> so I walk in there. I remember going to the interview. I was interning for these three young guys in the A&R department, which is the talent scouting department. And... um they're like totally selling me on how I'm like, this is my in. And like, there's thousands of people that would love to be in your seat right now. And I was just so unimpressed. I was like, yeah, yeah okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Do you want, am I in or like, is this over? Mm-hmm. And so I started and then, then I realized I loved it almost instantly. I just realized like, this is the path for me. This is fantastic. What did you love about it? Um, I don't know. I think there's, first of all, there's a sort of sexiness about like, you're making stuff that uh, the world appreciates, and dan- you know you you make people dance or make them cry or laugh or fight or whatever people do to music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know music has incredible power over me, and I think over a lot of people. And so, um, it's true. It literally is like the frequency that changes the way you feel. Yeah. So the idea of being on the inside of that seemed really cool. Mm-hmm. And then then you know kind of what we're saying is a certain like brotherhood of the people inside that industry that like um you know so some of my best friends are people that i just met out seeing shows and then we just you'd see the same guy like three nights in a row and then all of a sudden you're friends and you know and they're people who are equally passionate about this as you are exactly that's awesome so so you know i thought so i still didn't have like a plan but i just kind of knew that that was going to be my life Mm-hmm. And how long was, were you an intern for before you got a job there? Where'd I got you? fired as an intern. Why? Um, well, I, you know, I didn't know anything about how to behave as a human being. And so um, I did, I think, I think they would say, like, I did a good job as far as, like, my responsibilities. And, and we had, like, crazy stuff happening. Like, they would, um, they didn't want to take meetings with, like, low-level people so, but they didn't want to tell them that so they would just have me meet with them so these mm. people come in you know to this like beautiful legendary motown office thinking they're like this is their oh, shot and they're so excited yeah and they've told all their friends and totally. they flew in special for it and then and then they get there and then and you know an and it's me and i don't <laughs> and then like in the, i remember one guy in the middle of the meeting he's like wait who are you again <laughs> and i was like yeah i'm an intern for matt and they're and the guy was like 
Yeah. And so, um, so I did stuff like that, but I used to go to shows on their behalf because they, shows they didn't want to see, they would send me. And, um, so they wouldn't always like put me on the list and make sure everything was take, they would just say, go to this thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'd show up and, you know, I remember the first time, like the guy kind of hassled me about getting in. Could have been that I was 18, but you know, whatever. Um, but he asked me for my business card and I didn't have one. So the next day I went, um, this is before Kinko's. So I went to a printer, like a print shop, and I took my boss's business card. And I said, I need you to change the name on this <laughs> and make me business cards. Sounds like a hustler. Yeah, so I brought, I brought it to my boss. I was like, look, he goes, okay, we're going to pretend I didn't see that. And um, so anyway. It's so funny. You were like proud of this fraud that you did. I mean, like, look, it's getting me in the door. Well, I had him take the title off, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm pretending that I'm the director or whatever. Uh -huh. But it just had the logo and my name. Yeah. And so it would help me facilitate. Well, I don't know. We didn't really talk about it. Uh -huh. And again, that was just my, like, youthful ignorance of, like, I didn't really know how to have that discussion. Mm -hmm. um, it took me a long time to learn, like, that it's okay to ask for help or to admit not knowing something. And so, you know, at that time, none of that was going on. Hey, check it out. Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com. Do you need a website? No, let me tell you, you do need a website. And you can do it yourself with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, if you got a startup, your music career, your uh, earwax collection, I don't know what you're doing. Whatever it is, you need a website. And Wix is used by more than 84 million people worldwide. It makes it easy to get your website live today. You can spend time on your business. Don't spend time building your website. There's hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from. Use the drag-and-drop editor. You drop in your images, your videos, your copy. And next thing you know, you have a beautiful website that you built yourself. It's fast. It's easy. It's free. We did it with rebelradio.net. Check it out. And you can see the amazing work you can do with Wix.com. You're too busy with everything else. Stop worrying about your website. Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com. Create your own website today. Send it to us and we will promote it online. All right. I think there's also a part of you, and I don't know you at all, but there's a part of you that seems... You don't have to say that. I mean, I, I don't. We've now spent like 20 minutes together. That's true, but still not really a significant amount right, of way to say I know you. But I feel like I get you, which is a different thing. That's weird. I know. Is it weird? Did we run a background check? Um, there is like there is something. I think it's because two forms of I think it's because I feel like my background is similar to your background. Like I'm also mm. a Russian Jew mm. that is from LA, and I also had like this unstable financial situation and then also like hustled my way through everything yeah so there's something about people like us if i can categorize us as the same group of people that sees a problem and sees the way to fix it most efficiently and then just does it yeah and sometimes that works and sometimes that makes it breaks a rule that is sometimes there for no reason other sure. than to create some kind of stability for people who want to feel safe yeah but I think that people like you and I don't have that same need to feel a kind of stability or a safety. So we're like, let's just get it done. Yeah. 
I th- that's fair. Yeah. So the making the business card thing, you're like, this is the this is yeah, my ticket it's in. The problem to and the... look, and I did it without you. Like, right. shouldn't I get a tap on the head for taking the initiative? Exactly. Yeah. So he kind of brushed it off at the time, but and so months later, and I think I screwed some other things up. Like, again, like <laughs> not. I think I overstepped my boundaries. Let's mm-hmm. say I don't know if I remember any great examples for, but. Um, but so anyway, one day the three guys I was interning for called me in. They're like, hey, our boss got a hold of your business card and he was really <laughs> upset. So we got to let you go. Yeah. You were also like this, this little schmuck that was representing the company. Once for you sure. have a business card, exactly. it's like if you mess up, then the whole company is to blame. Right. So, yeah, okay. So you that. got fired. And so, then what was your next job after that? So they felt really bad. So they, uh, they introduced me to this guy, Stephen Rifkin, who had loud records, which became later on the record label for Wu-Tang and then a bunch of big hits after that. At the time, they were like not kind of just getting started. Mm-hmm. So I went and worked there for a little while. What did you do there, A&R? Uh, publicity. Um, How did you like that? So, oh, while I was at school, so once I decided I wanted to be in the music business, I kind of was like uh, impatient. So I started managing a guy uh, who was a, a student, a classmate of mine, um, who was a producer. In school, you started managing someone? Yeah. So How'd he, you do that? Well, I didn't. I mean, but he said, he was just a friend, and he was making music, and he said, hey, you know, do you want to manage me? And I said, I, sure, what does that do? Yeah, like, yeah. What's it, I should ask, what's it pay? Because it paid <laughs> nothing. But, um, but I didn't know what it was, but I said, sure, I'll figure that out. Mm-hmm. And then I also. So, so what what did you do for him? Did you get him shows or? I got him people? absolutely nothing. Yeah, you did nothing. Um, but what I did <laughs> is I I started to meet a few people here and there, and I started to play his music for people. Cool. So that didn't turn into anything. It wasn't. Did he end up? Are you still friends with him? Did he end up working in? Music? We're still friends. He's done okay. He's done like a lot of background stuff, like music for movies and, um, uh, you know like a lot of like collaboration stuff where he's not the main guy mm-hmm. but he's done all right um cool. uh so i started that and then i also decided i was going to be a writer so i went what in, kind of writer? so i go into the school newspaper and i said i found the arts and entertainment editor and said hey i want to write for the paper and uh she said okay um and she starts writing down uh, the class that you're supposed to take to like work for the paper. They teach you journalism ethics and how it works and all that. And I said, no, no, I don't, I don't want to take a class. I already have my mm-hmm. classes. I, I just want to write for the paper. She goes, okay, well, um, bring me some clips. And I said, what's a clip? And she's like, I need to see some stuff, you know, that you've written. And I said, well, I haven't written anything. You haven't hired me. And so she literally, I could just see in her face, she was just tired of talking to me. Mm-hmm. So she just said, all right, just go write something and let me see it. So that night, Cypress Hill was playing. So I was a, I was a huge hip-hop fan. Um, and uh, Cypress Hill was playing, and, and I went to the show, and I went home and wrote a show review. I brought it in the next day. And that's significant because, so this is Cypress, this, their album hadn't come out yet. So they were kind of locally known, but um, not famous yet. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, you know, this is 1990 where rap music had not, it wasn't mainstream yet. So 
I was literally the only person at the newspaper who had heard anything besides like the Beastie Boys and Public Enemy. Also, what a cool time to be in LA. Yeah. As a fan of hip hop and totally. Rap. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. No, it was it was magical. Yeah. For sure. And um so, so, you wrote the... so I became the rap critic oh, cool. for the paper. At UCLA. At UCLA. That's wonderful. Um how long did you do that for? Well, I wrote for ten years. So Oh, you ended up writing for them after no, you left? But you no, got I wrote for them writing... while I was in yeah. school. And then there was these all of these new rap magazines that were popping up. Vibe and the source and a bunch that you never heard of. Um and so they all needed writers and, and none of them had any money. So that was a perfect <laughs> fit for me. You just did it uh, for the shows and because you loved it? Yeah. Awesome. And it was a it was you know, in hindsight, it was a really smart move because as a writer, you have something people want, right? They want publicity. And especially at the newspaper because it was a daily. So I could basically write as often as I wanted to. Mm. Um, whereas at a monthly magazine, they're much more constrained on space. Not so much now online, but so I could get meetings all, at any record label or management company around town. And, and in fact, my first sort of official, like after I got hired by the paper, like I interviewed two of my like childhood idols Who's that? in the same day. So too short, yeah. you know, too short. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit. No, that's uh, CeeLo. Is it? No. See, Skilo. Skilo. Sorry, CeeLo. Uh, no, Two Shards like a... CeeLo's uh, so upset. He's sitting somewhere well, listening to this Well, he listens to the show, so yeah. my apologies. Sorry, um, uh No, Two Shards like a dirty rapper. Like, oh, okay, then like no. Sex raps. Um, oh, sex raps. Mm -hmm. And that was your favorite? Yeah, I was a teenage boy. Yeah. It was awesome. Why not? Yeah. And then, and then KRS-One, mm -hmm. who you never heard of. No. Uh, but he was like the polar opposite, like somewhat conscious like he called himself the teacher so he was like the the whole like uh empowerment side of hip-hop mm -mm. he's like the common of today yeah kind of a little bit maybe he won't like that but that's great okay <laughs> sorry chris <laughs> maybe common you're the common like of today common will probably love it because <laughs> i'm sure he was an influence on common mm -hmm. uh, but anyway so i got to meet these two guys the first day on the job and i decided this is the coolest life like that i could have imagined um, so, and I, I ended up doing that for 10 years as a writer for different magazines. On the side, as you were also working in publicity and... Yeah, the publicity thing didn't last long. And then I kind of like, uh, no, so I got more into the writing thing. So I graduated college. I went to work full-time at a magazine as an associate editor. I didn't know what that did either. <laughs> um, and so... But you're a we'll figure it out guy. Yeah. 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 That's carried me through most of my life mm -hmm. it's just yeah it it doesn't like not knowing how to do something never registers as a reason not to do it well because you've been able to successfully do so many things that you otherwise or or to other people would seem like you're ill-prepared for also unsuccessfully a lot of that too and then what happens when you're unsuccessful sometimes you don't realize it um well, I think that's the thing is like if you're unsuccessful, but you're fine, then mm -hmm. you're not afraid of failing. Yeah. That's what it is. It seems yeah. like you are, don't have that fear of failure because that's what the figure it out aspect of it is, is that yeah. even if we don't get what we want, we're okay. I have a fear of not doing stuff. Yeah. What's that about? Like you have a fear of letting time pass or you have a fear of boredom? 
Uh, probably both. I don't know if I have a fear of boredom. No, the time passing. Like, I have a fear of missing out on opportunity. I'm too old to use uh, the acronyms. acronyms. Yeah, don't do it. Um, but uh, but you I'll, have like this one life and you want to make the most of it. I also sidebar. I think it's an age thing, but I think it's not manly to use like acronyms. those kind of acronyms yeah. or like emojis or like a, I'm offended by all that um, for men. Wh- Sorry to. Well, why? What is like the gender specificity of, of I don't emojis know. and acronyms? I don't know. That sounds really sexist in a weird way that I don't fully understand, but I think that there's just a common me. thing about guys your age where there's like a, a tie to like what masculinity is that's different now. Yeah. I think that like yeah, for sure. women are what would traditionally be seen uh, deemed as more masculine because there's just more like women bosses. Yes. And then there sure. are more men who are like staying at home and taking more traditionally feminine parts. And Yeah, but, and I don't I mean that doesn't bother me at all. Well, I just think that like the the labeling of manly and womanly is a whole big hodgepodge that right. is really close to home. To people from the hip hop world, mm. or like from big cities, yeah. or yeah, from like, your generation, that's possible. And you know, I would say, like on the one hand, I think those things are being redefined, and they should be. Um, on the other hand, I think there's some, like we shouldn't just completely throw out everything that's existed in the past and start over. I agree. And that, like, there's some things uh, that should be preserved. Like what? Like not using emojis. <laughs> well, emojis are a new technology that we're just figuring out what their place is. Fair enough. But what about emojis feels... <clears throat> it just feels frivolous. It feels frivolous. Like silly. Yeah, but and what's it... wrong with being silly? Like don't you do things that are just silly? Yeah, I do, I, but I do so uh, purposefully. Or, or what I mean is like I give myself license to, to do those things uh-huh. that I still feel fit my... And why is frivolous and not manly the same thing like is is being feminine also being frivolous well feminine now is like a loaded term right because we're saying that these terms are being redefined so okay if we're not thinking about like the loadedness of it and like the pc of it which is like so hard to do because we have microphones right here and we're thinking about like the potential backlash of the internet i have nothing to lose you're you're a star i has, I'm already upset, everyone. Have you? I think so. I've done a really good job of turning some people away. What has what have you done that's upset people the most? Talk about Black Lives Matter. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Talk about like being a Jew talking about refugees. Yeah. And like how we should set up a no fly zone and let them into this country. Yeah. Um that turns a lot of people away. Like a couple of weeks ago, I lost 1,500 people in one day. Wow. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, like, it's kind of baller. I'm cool with it. Like, I'm just going to keep For sure. whittling it down and building it up until I just have, like, the core the people, right people who support me. Absolutely. So, um, so I'm, like, not afraid of talking about, like, the PC-ness of this thing. Yeah. But I am curious about, like, being manly and being frivolous. Like, how those two things... Are the opposite of each other. I don't think they're opposite, but I think there is a tension between them. Certainly, mm-hmm. um, I think. Huh. Um, 
Should I ask you a different question? Yeah, because I don't have a good answer for yeah, it. Not okay. that I'm afraid of it. I just, I don't, no, I don't know. I, I know. It's kind of a weird question, too. But it's something I think about. Okay. Um, just, like, text me afterwards, and then we'll post it on the blog for this Fantastic. podcast. Um, so, <laughs> do you think that when you say, like, things should be conserved from the past, yeah. um, does that mean, like, some gender roles? Yeah. 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 Um, like, how so? How does that... How how do you think that that continues to serve people? Um, how does it continue? Well, because I think that humans need structure as mm -hmm. much as, you know, I've grown up with a very, Without it. Yeah, in a lot of cases. And, and it, also you kind of like the whole thing about like, it's so funny to say humans need structure <laughs> on rebel radio. <laughs> well, when like your whole thing is like, like, we're just going to fucking figure out how to do it. And then it's like, but we need rules. Yeah, because both those things are true. Yeah, right? I, I, I hear that. That's, I hear the, that. that's the Buddhist in me that, that can acknowledge that, that something and its opposite can both be true. Yeah, we need right? security and we need excitement. Yes. Right. So we need structure and we need freedom, mm -hmm. right? And we need the ability to figure shit out when there is no structure. But... Um, but but I still think that, you know, okay. So I think that part of being a man is taking care of your family. Mm -hmm. Not to the exclusion of a woman, also take care of family, right? So it's not it's not an either or. But I but I do feel like um that for me at least, that's part of what defines a man. Mm -hmm. Um so you know, that doesn't mean you can't be frivolous at times that you have to just always be serious mm -hmm. you uh, have to have your priority absolutely and emojis get in the way of that <laughs> i just think they're stupid and <laughs> and and i don't know why it yeah, annoys me yeah you just me. think they're stupid yeah. i get that but um, like my son texts me emojis yeah and like that's fine because he's seven but i but i have an expectation that at some point he <laughs> needs to grow out, out of it, of it. <laughs> yeah yeah so if a man's role is or his priority should be to take care of his family what what do you see and also, this may not be your place to answer it, so you can also veto this question. Um, Pass. Yeah, you can do that. Um, what do you think is like a woman's role then? What does it mean to be a woman? Well, I think that, um, first of all, I would say like, you know, these are personal decisions. So what's right in, for me and my family, and, I, and I'm not trying to like weasel out of the question, but but I do think that um, probably what I have a problem with more, like I'm I'm not I'm extremely not judgmental. Yeah, I get that. From you. But I also feel like uh, I probably would pass judgment on you if you just have if there are no rules that you live by, right? Or you you know I, I have a problem with with people that seem to just only do what's best for them in that in that particular moment, right? And um, well, then there's also a kind of like, yeah, there's a there's like a mental like a, a mental health issue there, really, if that's the consciousness, because I think mentally healthy people, sane people ultimately want to do good and be liked, be loved, sure. feel like yeah. feel in a community. Mm -hmm. So if you are totally unabashed to that, if you're right. like, oh, fuck other people and only my feelings matter. Psychotic then you're crazy. Yeah. Right. So like fair to pass judgment there. Yeah. So, so I think, 
Um, but but my point is like it's a somewhat complicated. Like I have a lot of rules that in my life that I've created for myself, and that's like a that's you know to maybe to some people that may be more work than like people want to do. Yeah, I think um, write those down in your book. All right. It'd be fun to know. I mean, I I know that like I can't ask you to list them because like there's it's, yeah, it's a thing you really have to like explore. Yeah. Sure. But that sounds really interesting. Like I would love to know what the rules are of cuz I'm sure a lot of people listen to this podcast cuz they respect you and your opinions and what you've no. done with your career. Just because no. I told them you're coming. Huh? <laughs> yeah. No one's listened to any episode prior to this or after this. No. We're counting on you. <laughs> I'll bring it. But it is interesting that people, um, I think people want to know about the rules or like the um, the priorities or the hierarchy that people have put in their lives that have brought them to where they are. Because I think a lot of what your life is, is the beliefs that you have about it. Absolutely. So if you believe that, like, I need to do this in order to feel like a man or like a good dad or mm-hmm. like a good businessman or a good friend, then those are great things to share with people who want to follow in your footsteps. All right, fine. I'm just saying, I'm just, uh, I guess it's a, a small... Kind of um, pushy. We don't really know each other. <laughs> but we get each other. Oh, right. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, okay, so then you were yes, you were working in. Um, okay, you stopped sp- doing PR. I've, we have to go back to your life story. I have to speed this part up. Oh, because we have to go. No, just because it's too long. Okay, it's too much talking about me. Okay. Um. Yes, yeah, so I was working in a magazine. It was awesome. I was also managing on the side. Yeah. How did uh, you pick up talent to manage? You friends. Just, oh. Okay. So that guy introduced me to some girls. Mm. I managed them. They were like sort of Spice Girls, like eight years too early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I met a producer who I got to work with them, and then I ended up managing him. And then so it was just that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One thing led to another. That guy got signed at Atlantic Records, the place where we are here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I quit my job at the magazine, went to manage him full time. And uh, learn some interesting lessons about the music business. What um, what's a an interesting lesson that you learned? Well, we got uh, we got a big bidding war, which is where multiple record labels make offers, incre- ever increasing offers to sign you to their label, um, and it was big enough that it enabled me to quit my job. And then uh, the record never came out. How does that happen? Because they don't have to put the record out. It's, but why did they bid on the talent then? Well, so that was an interesting lesson. Um, they didn't say this, but my my assessment of it was that uh, you get people in a competitive... It's, it's the eBay phenomenon. You get people in a competitive situation and they just want to win. Mm. And they'll say whatever... They convince themselves, right? As, as well as you, that they should win. And they um, will spend more money than they should and they'll you know, make decisions that aren't in their best interests in order to win. So I felt like that's what happened, is that the guy at this particular company wanted to win, and so he convinced us and himself, and we kind of went with that. And then he got a product that he didn't end up liking. And then the talent is just stuck, signed with this? Well, we made a decent deal where they either had to put the record out or let us go. Oh, 
okay. Um, and they had to kind of pay us for the work that we had done. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, so that was that. was that, And, and he's gone on to be a, a pretty successful producer. His name is Bosco. And he's still a good friend. And and, uh, and he works with like E-40 and Big Boy and, and some big people now. Um, um, I wonder where, just let me know if we have already hit or if we're going to hit the place where you meet your wife. We have not. Okay. So I did management for five years. I had a moderately successful management career. Were you um, at an, a management company or just independent? Mine. Cool. Yeah, that was a mistake because uh, I didn't know how to be a manager or run a business. And there was no one there to teach me. And you were like in your 20s? Yeah, I was like mid-20s, mm -hmm. early mid-20s. So um, I, I do tell people uh, like the smarter thing to do would be go get a job first and kind of learn while someone else is paying for that to happen and then go strike out on your own. Yeah, or at um, least like get a great mentor. Yeah. That will be there for you. I also did not do that. I, I was terrible, like I said, at asking questions. Oh. And um, so anyway, I did that for five years. It was okay. And then it wasn't. Um, and when that was ending, so I went back to the magazine. I become really good friends with the owner. Um, and I pitched him this idea that we start a business together Um I think, you know, there were two pieces of it. One is like he had a, a pretty successful magazine. It was still a small business. You know, it wasn't like Time Inc. or anything like that. But but it was really well-respected and and successful within its niche. And, you know, people like that are have a ton of ideas and aspirations of other things they want to do, but they're so buried in the day-to-day -day mm. of their company. Yeah. And so kind of my pitch was like, I know how to get shit done, so let's partner up and we'll do stuff together, bu building on what you have already. Um, and then more specifically, it was that uh, I knew how to run like street teams and promotion around music, and then we could sell that to his advertising clients. Mm -hmm. And that would be at least the first business that we launched together. Um, so I started doing that, and that turned into like, I'm sort of fast forwarding, but but like two years later, we had become a marketing agency. We didn't really know that at the beginning, that that's what we were starting. Um, and marketing for music talent. No. So so our first, the first year, all our clients were record labels because mm -hmm. that's who their advertiser base was. But um, but no, I mean, we just became a brand, brand marketing, right? And so our first real client was Toyota. We, did, we launched the Scion brand for them. Cool. Um, I remember that campaign. Yeah. Because it was all around music. Yeah. So they came to us and said, hey, we need somebody that really understands music and youth culture. And could that be you? And we said, yes. Yeah, that is you. Yeah. <laughs> it was. And so. Um, See, that's kind of the benefit when you say, like, you suggest to people to go get a job working for someone. That often means you're the person that gets coffee for people. Mm -hmm. And, like, connects calls and although i get the benefit of that and i don't want to like poo poo it i think that there's a lot to be gained there you also became an expert in something by i mean failing minorly 
for a couple years. Sure. And you got you, you ended up being the youth culture music guy that if you had been someone's right. assistant, you may not have been that. Yeah, that's true. Although I also feel like uh, any job is as big as you make it. Maybe not any job. Coal mining's a tough one. But because <laughs> of the black lung. Yes. Yeah, it keeps you down. Um, but jobs can be as big as you make them, right? And so if you're, you know, again, I was an intern and, and you know, my first job was like clean out the product closet, mm-hmm. which was the best job. I took home like 30 records. That day. I was <laughs> so excited. Um, you made that job huge. Yeah. Well, I made it work for me. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I made it bigger. Like I, I learned how to you know, organize this massive stream of content that was coming into the company for review. And so I wonder if like part of the advice, it's hard to like just give general advice, I find, or even to like hear general advice of like, everyone should go get a job at a, where you work for somebody. And I know that's not what you're saying, but it sounds like you've gotten to a really awesome place in your life with so many cool opportunities. And Part of it is because you always trusted yourself Mm. and you listened to your gut and you didn't make decisions from like a fear of failure or fear that you're not good enough. Yeah. So maybe that's a powerful piece of advice to give to people is like if you think that you can actually do this, then like do it and fail with all you got and then use that to compile a shit ton of lessons to make the next opportunity and next adventure better. Absolutely. Cool. I'm glad I could rephrase your advice. We're done. All right. Thanks for coming. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on my show. Uh, You've been listening to Rebel Radio. Have a good night. You should take over hosting my show. (laughs) You're much better at it than I am. I feel like I'm getting in the hang of it. I feel like I'm finally talking with my voice. I've been like so mousy and like morning voiced all morning. Oh, I thought that was you. And I'm just a tiny little woman. So um, (laughs) I saw Sia this weekend. Yeah. Did you go to that show? No, we had an event that day, but I, I wanted to. There was two, it was awesome. two days. I didn't go. God, it was so good. And she did this thing between acts where there was like, there was like a little pre-recorded video that was abstract. Like I couldn't even explain what it is. But the sounds that came with it were like a, but like layered and layered and layered on top That's of cool. each other. And it was so creepy. Like I wanted to throw yeah. up or like cry or like curl up into a ball. It was just like really? so visceral and eerie, but also kind of like childish. Mm. It was cool. It was like it was the like embodiment I could of see Sia. Sia doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so. so cool. Anyway, that was what my morning voice reminded me of. Awesome. Anyway, um, so then uh, you're you're now you've created this marketing company kind yeah. of accidentally. Yep. And then then what? I mean, in there, did you meet your wife? Oh yeah. So I met my wife like right <laughs> after. So right after we'd started, uh, one other guy in the office was going to Miami for New Year's Eve just a party he was like a massive partier strip club guy and, cool uh love those guys yeah he was like <laughs> he's like he's fun to hang out with yeah right? i'm sure i've got friends like that so he <laughs> no, um <laughs> so he invited me to go to miami with him and i said yes and then he ended up not going i ended up going with two guys that i didn't really know all that well um but we were doing... That's so funny. He invited you to go to Miami, but then he didn't yeah, go, he, and he just set you up on a friend date with two other people. Kind of. That's cool. Yeah. 
<laughs> so um, uh, we were doing a radio show at the time. And the guy that ran the show was in, in Miami. And so he invited me to stay with him. And he was having a New Year's Eve party. And I met my wife at his party. Like she was just there with a girlfriend and, and whatever. And In Miami? Yeah. So she lived there? She lived in Fort Lauderdale. Hmm. It's an hour away. Tough. Yeah. Tough place to grow up. So, uh, well, she grew up, she was in the, her dad was in the army. So she grew up in Germany, Italy, and then Tampa. Cool. Does she speak a bunch of other languages? No. Because mm. she grew up on military bases where everyone spoke English. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so then, did you guys do a long distance relationship? Yeah, for a year. Mm-hmm. And we were we were both. I, I don't want to speak for her. I was I was definitely like, I think I was not very good at relationships. I was really good at starting relationships. Yeah. Not so good at maintaining them. Well, because the beginning is the most fun because there's no real intimacy. It's right. just like all of the love drugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like you're it's this fascination with a person that you don't really know. Totally. And then you're like, oh, wait, my heart. And oh, wait, and maybe there's something to lose. And my yeah. ego. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all that. What you said. Yeah. So so, so you weren't great not at so the part at that's that. hard for everybody. Yeah. And so I, I was kind of to a point like, well, maybe I just don't need to do that part. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I was pretty, it is, you know, the long distance thing is really interesting. I don't know if you've done that, but, I have. um, but it, it, for us, it gave us a lot of freedom to just be super honest and direct about that kind of stuff. And it was kind of like, Hey, take it or leave it. This is what's up. And you're like, all right, well, you're getting on a plane tomorrow anyway. So sure. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And, um, and it worked and we did that for a year. Yeah, maybe that's the tool that you needed to get into a great, healthy relationship. It also, I mean, the love drugs are like you're uh, amplified considerably by distance. By distance, totally. Yeah, there's a great TED talk on that. By the way, we met at a TED conference, which was we really did. Fun. But um, TEDx Hollywood. Yeah, which was so fun. Was I had great. a great time there. Yeah, um, I love TED talks. What would your TED talk be? Um, I don't know yet. If I knew, I, mean, I would. I'm sure it's gonna be about refugees. Don't it? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think that the refugees is like a small part of like my life passion, which is to encourage people to do what they feel is right, and often what they like, uh, often what they feel is right is is a benefit to the world. You know, maybe it would be like based around this um quote that i heard when i was in college which is don't ask what the world needs ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who have come alive mm, i love that and i think that That's like a, who's that like marianne williamson no no Sounds um like it. it's not i think it's it's a it's an older quote maybe from a president i don't i actually don't remember i'm terrible at remembering those kind of things awesome but yeah i'm useless for that but uh, um that's why i love ted talks is yeah. that i'll just like pick up a little nugget of exactly. it exactly um, but yeah, maybe it'll be about that. And I think the refugees thing for me, for people who are listening and don't know, I have a, an organization that helps refugees called can't do nothing, can't do nothing.org. But if you, for me, it was about like following the thing that makes me come alive. Like I felt like if I didn't try to do everything I could to help people, specifically these victims of war who are in the largest humanitarian crisis of our time Mm -hmm. then i would regret it then it would kill me a little bit yeah that it would that it would hurt and so i feel lucky that the thing that makes me come alive is also helping people why can't you just make people laugh on youtube i can do that too there's no lack of me what or make them buy phones 
yeah, I could do that too. But okay. I also, the reason I like making people buy phones is because I get to make them laugh. Yeah. If they weren't funny, I would not enjoy doing them. So, um, funny. yeah, I love them. Yeah. Thanks. So, um, what would your TED talk be about? It would be about shit. <laughs> yeah. Where it comes from. Where does it go afterwards? Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure I have one. But I, but I think that it's probably this idea that most of what you're afraid of is not going to kill you. There's another really great TED Talk. See, that wasn't a good TED Talk. No, but that's a great topic because yeah. there's a lot of TED Talks on fear. Yeah. Because it's sure. the thing that rules our life. Mm-hmm. That and probably love. And um, there's this one really great one about how we are most afraid of things that we can imagine. So um, she talks about this this ship that's out at sea. And um, it's, uh, God, I'm so bad at t- dates too. I think 1400s, okay? It's out at sea. Sounds and right. it was like based, uh, m- parts of Moby Dick were based on this. So it's out at sea and um, these group of sailors know that a storm is coming. And they've got three options. They can go through the storm. They can go to an island that they know um, is close, and they heard rumors that there are cannibals on that island. And then the third option is to go around the storm, but that could be a very long process. Mm. So, um, and they don't they don't have enough resources to do that, enough food or water or anything. So um, they have these three options, and the ones that they can visualize most clearly are the cannibals because that's something they've read about in books mm-hmm. and it's like it feels like a very scary thing sure the other one is going through the storm like getting whipped up and that carried away and uh and they've read things about that and they can visualize that and the thing that they end up doing is going around the storm because it's very hard for people to right. imagine yeah dying of starvation or dying of thirst it's actually like hardest for us to viscerally imagine but that probably happens much more frequently so that's what they ended up doing is going around the storm and dying of starvation and ultimately some of them turned to cannibalism anyway and it was the point of the ted talk was that we are most afraid of things we can visualize that's why we're afraid of terrorism Mm -hmm. and we're afraid of plane crashes even though those things are so rare sharks but heart disease and diabetes yeah. are killing yeah. <laughs> killing us like. more often than anything. But yeah. it's hard to... That's why we can still smoke cigarettes. That's why they put pictures right. of, like, disgusting lungs and teeth on cigarettes yeah. so that we create that visual and it makes us not want to do it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think a lot of the times the things that we're afraid of aren't going to kill us. In fact, they may make us stronger. Right. True. So it's yeah. kind of... That kind of falls in line with, like, the lesson that you had earlier of, like, encouraging people to make decisions from their gut or from like what they believe is right for them rather than from fear mm-hmm. i just i just summarized your ted talk for you awesome <laughs> you're hired um so okay so then you you met your wife or we had to wrap up your life really Uh-oh. quick Shit. so you met your wife you had a long distance relationship for a year and then she eventually moved to la she came here a month later she asked me to marry her she did yeah how was that weird but i said okay i mean talk about gender roles being flipped yeah that's okay yeah i know it's cool so um it was weird but you said okay like what was that feeling like for you how did she do it we were just laying in bed on a sunday afternoon like 
She just said, will you marry me? Mm. And I said, where's my ring? <laughs> and then, uh, and then we got, we didn't get married for a couple of years mm-hmm. after that. But you knew that you guys were, were committed to this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so. she moved here for I you. I mean, definitely some, sometimes when you, you know, you have to challenge that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So then, um, then what was going on with your career at that time when she was back here? Were you guys living together? Yeah, instantly. I mean, she moved in. She moved here and moved in. Yeah, that's really stressful for a lot of relationships. Oh, totally. Super stressful. Yeah. Just because, and I had never lived with another adult mm-hmm. who wasn't my parents. Did you have a place that was big enough for two people? We moved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's smarter. That actually helps kind of like the psychology of starting a life instead of somebody imposing yeah. on yours. So then you guys were living together and what were you, what was your career like at that time? So I had the agency. It was, it was blowing up really thanks to Cyan. Like we went from, you know, three people to 25 and, um, you know, we just, it was a massive undertaking. Awesome. Um, crushing under the weight of success. Mm. Certainly like we didn't know anything about managing a business at that size and how to handle all these young people that we were bringing to do the work and it was just total chaos and then how did you learn um do you feel like you've gotten better at managing oh yeah people? yes what what's something that you learned that other people who are starting businesses can apply about managing people oh um don't let anything build up mm. process it immediately good and bad right Someone does a good job, make sure they know it instantly. If somebody, you, if you need them to change and do something differently, make sure they know that. Make sure it's clear, you know, what's expected, um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's communication. I mean, yeah. It's like nobody can get that piece of advice enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I still, you know, you catch yourself from For time sure. to time. Some. But, um, what do you think makes you, um, like block that initial understanding that you need to communicate? Like, you know, that communication is the answer or that like processing things. Well, I think it's a complicated, that's a complicated question because there's a psychology of expectation, right? That, um, I, I imagine in one of your relationships, someone's kind of like, so like, sh- shouldn't you already know this? Mm-hmm. Right. Like. And, and so then you're afraid of insulting the person if you were to tell them or no, or you're feeling like the other person should already know it and you don't have, you shouldn't have to say it. Mm, yeah. Or, I feel like my girlfriends say that a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't want to have to ask for a date. Exactly. Or, yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's that kind of thing. There's a like, um, there's just, you know, it's uncomfortable sometimes to tell people, you know, not everyone's comfortable. But what you're afraid of won't kill you. Right. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to be afraid of it. Yeah. You know? It doesn't mean it won't stop you. Yeah. But noticing it is really powerful, right? If you're Absolutely. like, hey, I don't want to say this because it might hurt someone's feelings or right. damage our relationship. Ultimately, like getting over that is probably the best thing you can do for your relationship. Sure. But, you know, I think the whole issue of, you know, boss, employee, coworker, like those are all really loaded terms that have in people's minds this set of expectations about how people should behave. 
in those environments, right? And I and I think you know part of what we've tried to do in in our company is is kind of break people of that, right? To say that, um, kind of counter what I said earlier, like those traditional structures don't always serve us. So sometimes they need to be reinvented, and um, you know, not not in a way that's and there should still be rules, but but they can be we can build them ourselves. Yeah, you can be a human being about it. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the biggest issues where um, I can't remember uh, a, a time where I've had this frustration, but I know I've had it a lot where I've been like been told to like wait in line for something that's stupid or, you know, like wh- whatever the thing is where I'm like, can't we just be human beings about it? Like, can't you see right. that this yeah. can be solved so quickly if we just break this tiny rule here? Exactly. So one of the the things that I'm noticing about you is that you have kind of created your own rules and bent them, but you do it consistently. Mm-hmm. So it keeps them as rules. Yeah. So kind of like bending your rules is one of your rules. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and I think that that can be a conscious thing, right? You can you can say, is this a rule we can break or what are the what are the. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in cause and effect. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that needs to be believed in, but like, but I take the role of cause and effect really seriously in in life. And so, you know, I think uh, there's often a conversation in my head or with other people that says, "What's the effect? You know, what are the potential effects of this decision? Right? And what are we, you know, what are we most likely to achieve?" And is that the outcome that we want? If not, let's make a different decision. Mm-hmm. Cool. Should we wrap up there? Wow. We didn't learn anything about you. Yeah. So bummed. Can I do a lightning round? What's that? I ask you like 10 questions. They're super fast. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. You can do three. Okay. Yeah, we have to both do it. Damn. I'll do it first. James. To be fair. Yeah, me that's out. fair. Bending the rules. And then we got to go because people don't have the attention span for this. All right, I have one, and then I have a lightning round. Okay. What decision has had the biggest impact on your career? Um, realizing that my career is in my own hands. Well, I mean, I guess it's not a realization, but that realization spun a lot of decisions. Yeah. Like... Um, Started, I started creating my own content. I stopped asking people for permission to work. I, I started behaving as though I was desperate today. Mm. Like right after college, I was like, what would I do if I was desperate? What would I do if I was 10 years older and the things that I had been doing for the past 10 years weren't working? What would I do? And it would be like, I'd make big moves. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. What did you... Uh, used to believe and then decided you'd been wrong? Um, um, I think I used to, this is like really like the most true and like scary thing to believe, but I think I used to believe that like manipulation was okay. Like I think I used to believe like, are you saying it's not? Yeah, I don't think it is. I think honestly, like, communication is the most like like being a human with people is the most rewarding thing. But like you know, like I used to try to make like boyfriends jealous, mm. 
or um yeah and like now I just know that I could be like hey actually like I'm feeling like these are my needs and that is like so much more effective sure yeah yeah what talent do you always wish you had more of um self-discipline is that a talent no but yeah like like I think I, I wish I was better at at taking care of myself what in like what um regard? like going to bed earlier when i'm tired like i mm. have like these habits of like i know i'm tired but i got like three more things i want to do before bed yeah or it's definitely not a talent yeah <laughs> okay um, i don't know what what other career would you choose if you knew you couldn't fail um you know i i've kind of been asked a question a little similar to this and i really think that my answer is just like I, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. There's really like. Okay. It's just nothing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I know you have managers and handlers and all that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have someone who walks me on my leash. Right. <laughs> so uh, if I was on your team, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Thank you. You're welcome. Who would you be most excited to learn as a fan of your work? Um, recently Neil deGrasse Tyson talked about me on a podcast Nice. and I like, I totally creamed my jeans. I was like, I, I was listening to the podcast and I was like squealing in my car. He said my name wrong and he thought I did advertisements for Verizon, Oh my god! <laughs> but still yeah. I knew he was talking about me and he was talking about me with like another comedian that I respect. Cool. And I thought that was the greatest, but also maybe if like, um, no, I I mean that's awesome. I'm, if also like Kristen Wiig, mm. I thought I was great. Or if like Will Ferrell was like that kid's got talent, that would be awesome. Nice. Yeah. Do you collect anything? No. What's... I'm not a stuff person. Okay. Pictures. I got a lot of pictures. Yeah. I love them. But like digital photos. Yeah. 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 I don't really. I don't have things. I don't care about them. Okay. Okay. Uh, is that What's 10? the last great book you read? Oh, um, I, I, all the books I read are so good, but I just recently finished You'll Grow Out of It by Jesse Klein. Okay. Uh, which was so funny and good. It's just like, she's this comedian. She's a writer on Jesse Schum on uh, Amy Schumer mm. and she just wrote about her life and it was like really inspiring because it made me want to write about my life because she feels like she's my friend. I think and, you should. Yeah, I would love to. What movie do you think you've seen the most? Um, E.T. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, only because like I started watching it very young. It's been around yeah, for as yeah, long as I, mean, I have. I mean, that's and how, the most opportunities to see that's it. That's how it always is. Yeah. But, uh, no, that's a good one. I mean, it, you know, it's a good one because it's not like a guilty pleasure. Like some oh. of the some of the movies, they're just like, yeah, it was just on. But you yeah, know. no, this no, one is. A one. It's a it's a joy to watch. Yeah, and last one, uh, favorite. I know we talked about music when we met, so I'm not going to ask you about DJs, but okay. favorite musician? Um, I really love this girl, Maggie Rogers. Okay. You know about her? No. She's she's a musician. She's a student at a school in New York, and Pharrell stopped by to like give them notes on their class. Did you guys see this video? Mm -hmm. went viral. And he like listened to her song and lost his shit. And she's just like this... like sweet girl from maryland and made these amazing beats and these like t took 
country and folk music and distorted it so it's got a more electronic sound. Oh, cool. It's so cool. Uh, I'll play it for you. It's so fun. So, yeah, Maggie Rogers. The song's called Alaska. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, can I have the questions now? Same questions? Yeah. Damn. Is that all of them? Yeah, yeah. that's all of them. Okay. Um, what's What decision have you made that's had the biggest impact on your career? You know, I should have a, a ready answer to that because mm -hmm. these are my questions. But, but that's so hard because I just feel like it's one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Um, but I think it was to stick with the, the business I'm in of marketing when that seemed really difficult. Hmm. What's something you used to believe and then decided you had been wrong? That I could run marathons. <laughs> Did you try? Yeah. And? Got really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem natural. And then even when I wasn't hurt, it still hurt. <laughs> and it, yeah. Not, Oof. No. What talent have you always wished you had more of? So many. Uh, but I would love to be able to, to draw or paint or mm. create visually. You could take a class. Yeah, I could. I've taken painting classes and I love them. I mean, I'm sure I could get like, you know. Yeah, whenever you have decent. the time. <laughs> no, but I'm sure like with a lot of work, I could get like decent enough at it. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's just not. It's not a talent that you possess. That's not, okay. Not everyone like can it. learn Spanish in high school. Right. What other career would you choose if you knew you couldn't fail? Stand-up comedian. Mm. 100%. Have you ever tried to do no. that? Would you want to? If you knew you couldn't fail. Well, yeah, that's what but I isn't said. But isn't that like the epitome of having fear? Like making the decision going in being like, yeah, I could. I'm so afraid of that because I, I don't know. I mean, but I, but I, we can talk about it later. Okay, I'm, yeah, we'll I, talk about it later. Because I also started doing it in the past three years and it's been so challenging and so fun. I don't see that as challenging for you. Um, it's I, challenging because there I are things, you, well, first of all, just like. Being a woman stand-up is different and hard. Of course. And uh, sometimes the jokes you write sound good in your head and then don't land. And also, sometimes you're not in the mood. Your vibe's not there. Your, like, energy isn't matching the audience. There's so many different elements How of it. How did you... I, I know we're out of time, but uh, I got to milk it. Yeah. Hi. Um, was your show written? Which one? Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about something. No. No. We had, like, we had like question points, right. but not really. So that's why I say that, because, like... The word, the dialogue was not funny. Mm -hmm. The way you delivered, and the two of you, and that was amazing. And <laughs> the words you said weren't. No, good. I mean I'm, your faces no, very no, no, funny. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> like that was all delivery, timing, chemistry. Like there were no jokes. Mm -hmm. There were some what? jokes. Yeah, but I know what you mean. It wasn't like a setup and punchline. But the show, I'm not saying this to like the show was brilliant. Thanks. And but it was all you guys. Thanks. And yeah. and um back to you. All right. Um my point is don't worry about the jokes. Okay. Get up on stage and just be that. Yeah. And you're right. Just fucking hilarious. I, I know. And it's so much easier said than done. It's very yeah, easy to do it when you're just with your buddy and a camera and That's you know you're here. gonna be the one editing it. Yeah. But when you're on stage in front of people and like the thing they see is the final version, there's there's like there's a different I mean, there's a fear that comes over you where you feel of course. like, listen, it controls everything. But oddly, so I'm not afraid to speak in public. I've done these interviews live. Yeah. I have no fear about that. Um, but I think it's just being just me and no 
slides or nothing, just like... You can have slides. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. Um, if, uh, if I worked for you, what's something that I would hear you say over and over? <sighs> He's not going to help me out. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a few. But uh, one I'll borrow from a previous guest is that if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm. That's cool. Do you like it when people ask you for things? Not always. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a weird thing because, yes, there's an art to it. My wife, like, asks for all kinds of stuff. I'm like, stop asking me for shit. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, at the same time, I always find it sometimes weird and off-putting if somebody doesn't ask when they need help or mm -hmm. and then maybe there's a resentment or something built because they yeah they thought you should know exactly yeah uh what do you collect yeah not that much i mean i have a small record collection a, a ton of photos i bet it's not that small of a record collection it's a couple thousand it's not like <laughs> no but <laughs> i know people with, with tens of thousands or or more um okay what's the last great book you read well, right now I'm reading The Last On, which was Mario Puzo's final book. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different gangster family story than The Godfather, and it's awesome. It was a shitty movie. Like, it was like a TV miniseries or something. It was like a B... Yeah. That's normally the story, though, with movies that come from books. No, but, I mean, but this was after he wrote The Godfather, which was mm -hmm. one of the biggest successes of all time on the oh, screen. Oh, I see. And then, you know, you're, and then he wrote this other book... And so I kind of slept on it for a long time because the movie wasn't good, but it's great. Awesome. Loving it. Um, what movie have you seen the most? So it's either like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles or maybe uh -huh. Fletch. It's one of those like... Yeah. It's, not, those it's not near the top of the favorites, mm -hmm. but they're just... Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, I, like I mean, classic, it's great. Classic, like some of the best comedy, like just yeah. like the most primitive, joyful comedy. For sure. Um, what is, who's your favorite DJ of all time? Jazzy Jeff. Jazzy Jeff. Do you Why? know who that is? Yeah. Yeah, from... Like Jazzy Smith. Jeff and the Fresh Prince? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a genius. That's not an overstatement. Is he still working? Is yeah. he still doing stuff? Is he producing? Uh, yeah. And he's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they were the, the background photo of my phone for a while. I think Fresh Prince oh, was cool. one of my favorite shows growing up. That's awesome. Oh, man, I hope you liked that one. I know I did. She's a lot of fun to talk to. Let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. Leave us an iTunes review. Five stars, of course. What else would there be? Find us on Facebook or uh, just come back next week and listen to more Rebel Radio. Peace. <laughs>